0: Hi, it's Rev. Kurt Condra at Unity on the North Shore in Evanston, Illinois. Unity offers positive, practical, and progressive teachings that support spiritual evolution and abundant living. You can join us for our weekly Sunday service at 1030 in these days of sequestering. It's by Zoom, Uh, so please visit our website at www.unityns.org and register for the Zoom link. If you missed the service, you can also see the video version of our Sunday lessons on our YouTube channel, Unity North Shore. Again, visit us at our website, www.unityns.org, to see the many ways in which we're creating connection in this time of physical distancing. God bless. The seasons of life but there's a time for every season. And that's what we've kind of been exploring together over these, well, throughout the month of August. Um, Specifically, we're looking at endings and the necessary endings that are a part of every life journey and every experience. We started out by talking about um, making, normalizing them. coming to a place of comfort in recognizing that there are points in our life journey where there are endings to relationships, there are endings to jobs, there are endings to circumstance in our lives, and ultimately there are endings to our our physical journeying in this realm. Um, So just sort of normalizing that in a way that opens up space for us to be present to the gifts and the deeper kind of joy that arises out of it, right? We've also talked about how it's kind of human nature to resist those endings, those change. Um, we, we hang on sometimes to to, what, to to what's comfortable, to the way that we know it's always been. And it's in that hanging on that, that makes it wrong and resisting and pushing back that it actually becomes an obstacle to us to being able to fully experience that allness of life, the full blessings that arise out of the seasons of life. So we've talked about that. And then this morning what I wanna talk about is sort of the difference or how it is that we can discern between when we're standing in a circumstance where it's really appropriate to kind of be open to the ending of that circumstance or when it's time to kind of fix it when it's time to continue sort of with perseverance to 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 continue on in the way we have going because um, the it, and it's a distinction that has been drawn by dr henry cloud in this book necessary endings it's kind of what um has prompted most of this series and largely he right he talks of sort of secular and business kind of circumstances and uh, business deals and that kind of thing. But there are also elements of that that as we've seen express in our lives personally. And there's a spiritual dimension to it as well. He doesn't speak to that, that's the part that I bring on Sundays. So what I wanna do is kind of walk through four of the, I guess milestones that that Cloud would set out as um, sort of guideposts for us to decide between whether or not this is is a a circumstance or a time for fixing, or this is a time to really welcome endings. The first of those guideposts he describes is um, really looking at, as you're discerning whether or not this is a time to end or a time to keep pushing, is to look at past experience. Is there something in your life that has resonated like this? Is there some other time when you have been through an ending or a circumstance that you wish you had been able to do maybe more skillfully or with a little bit more intentionality or a little bit more love or compassion? And by sort of calling those circumstances to mind, we can begin to maybe see different possibilities, different ways of showing up, different ways of sort of embracing the spiritual dimension, different ways of of, um, inculcating that with our prayer energy and our meditation experience. The example he uses, I'm going to use a very secular example. The example he uses is is a business one, and he talks about... Um, a a CEO who began her career early on at Motorola. This is back in the early days of mobile phones. Do you all remember that? I don't know, I imagine some of our younger, we've got Sammy Blix is helping us in the, and the tech side, I bet she would never remember it. This isn't exactly one, but I remember the first mobile phone I had. You carried it around in a big old bag. It was hugely heavy. It had giant batteries. And this is at the point when Motorola was sort of dominating the market for mobile phones. Well, AT&T came to Motorola and said, hey, you got the market on this analog stuff. We think you're the leaders. Would you be willing to work with us on creating a digital platform for phones? And Motorola said no. So at t went to Nokia, and that's who dominated the digital marketplace for a whole lot of, for a whole lot of years after that. Um, fast forward a couple of decades and one of the executives who was involved at Motorola at that time is now working for a medical equipment company called Welch Allen. I, I wasn't familiar with it but um, those of you who know doctor's offices or maybe even notice, there's a lot of equipment that shows up there that they're doing testing. Almost all of it is built by Welch Allen as I understand it. And Welch Allen has been a family-owned company with this deep sense of connection to its customer base, the doctors and the nurses who use their equipment, well-trusted, they've got this wonderful sort of track record of, of being a trusted and a profitable and a successful company. Well, this executive who'd come from that Motorola experience sort of was able to take, to take a step back and knowing that, that n- the endings are sort of a normalizing process, she recognized that, you know, the industry is changing really dramatically, really quickly. And while we've got all this equipment out in the field that people love and are continuing to use, what she noticed is that other industries, um, everything's being integrated so it's on a single platform. Like think of your iPhone. It doesn't matter if you have an iPhone or iPad or iPod or a Mac. It's all the same platform. How you use it, the interface looks the same on all of them. And so this executive decided that if, if, if Welch Allen was going to move into this next generation and continue to be successful, then it needed to adapt so that it was using a common platform over all their equipment. Well, right now, each equipment had its own original platform. That was sort of what she had to move that through. So she worked very hard at sort of changing the mindset within the company so that they would be willing to end the way that they had been doing things that had been successful for decades and be willing to sort of risk it all and step out in this new direction. And as I understand it, it's going very well. The book's been out a couple of years. He didn't have the the stats. But I would imagine that given the way everything else is, that an integrated platform for a whole product line is a brilliant idea and one that really allows them to sort of stay at the forefront of that particular marketplace. The same is true of our own ideas, right? As we might be... Um, sort of moving through our lives in a relationship, in a job, or in a circumstance or a pattern that has served us very well to this point. But we all know that spiritual growth is really about recognizing those places where we can expand our capacity to be that presence of the divine in every dimension of our lives. Right? And that takes letting go of what was comfortable. Letting go of how we've done it for years in the past. Letting go of how we prayed back when we were kids. We're continually growing and evolving our capacity to be the light that that Felina sang about at the top of the, I was going to say the top of the show, at the top of the service this morning. So that's the first piece, sort of look back at past experience and see whether or not that gives you any insight or any understanding about how to apply what you've learned spiritually to this current experience and this current understanding. Alright, step two to decide whether or not it's time to end or whether it's time to fix. This one is all based on inner guidance and intuition. It's not one that Cloud speaks to, but I, I think it's hugely important, right? That as we learn to sort of sit in the presence of the Divine, really pay attention to how Spirit is guiding us beautiful example of this happened in the Olympics a couple of weeks ago. I know it's two two weeks old news, but Simone Biles, you remember this? She withdrew from the team events at the last minute and got all kinds of flack, all kinds of feedback. But as she began to describe what that process was about for her, she had, I'd never heard of this, twisties, right? She was getting twisties. So it's when um, gymnasts, lose their orientation, they kind of don't know up from down when they're in the middle, the, and realized that it was because of the emotional stress and the pressure um, of sort of being a part of every event. She also recognized that it would most serve her emotional and, and I would say spiritual well-being, she didn't use that term, but her emotional and physical well-being if she could care for herself in a way that allowed her a greater sense of rest. So one of those choices that she made was to step back from doing the press interviews. And again, that was there was a huge blowback from that. You know, she's we deserve a piece of her. We, the public, we need to know. We want to know the intimate details of how she's feeling through this process. Um, and that that is tremendously countercultural, right? Everything about the Olympics. Well, not everything about the Olympics. It certainly has this wonderful quality of inspiring. But there's also a huge sort of um, money-driven dimension to the Olympics and the media surrounding it and the hype that's being there. And all of that gets fueled as we get our our, um, our one-on-one interviews with the athletes on all the TV shows and all the... And Simone just realized that that, that was harmful. She was following her own inner intuition. And so she ended um, her availability to the press as a part of her being able to be truly successful at what she is best at, what she excels at, what they name gymnastic moves after her for um, by by ending a practice that wasn't serving her. That's another way that we begin to discern whether or not it's time to end or whether or not to keep going with something because it's sort of the given pattern. Um, Pay close attention to the signals, the intuitive hits that you're getting, the prayerful inspiration you're getting, and even the physical sort of sensation that you experience. That's all a part of how we really discern whether or not it's time to um, end something, or whether it's time to sort of keep pushing to that next level. Intuition and guidance. The third that he suggests, in terms of this discernment place, is to begin to, real, to recognize whether, um, as you're contemplating this ending, as there's this trajectory that we're sort of moving on, this wave that we're riding, as you're contemplating that, look for any evidence that what's happening, um, that, that, that there is um, uh, a reasonable, sort of rational impetus for a different outcome to begin to emerge. Is there something that's significantly different that would support this idea that the way we're going is gonna change, right? If we're on, if we're, the, the example that I bring is, this one and I have a biblical example for that. Um, as we look at the Israelites, you know, we've, we've talked about sort of moving out of slavery into Egypt, that there was a death that happened there as they moved out to, I'm skipping ahead now, 40 years, um, Moses has just died, and the Israelites are now standing on the threshold of moving in to the land of milk and honey, right? They've arrived at the promised land. Having arrived at the Promised Land, so the end of that part of journey, now there's a whole other dimension of stuff that's happening. There's a whole other series of beginnings and endings that's going to be unfolding as the kingdom gets established, as the 12 tribes become 12 nations. There's a whole other trajectory that happens. So the Israelites are now crossing into the promised land. The manna has stopped falling now. They're actually eating from the land. The the land of milk and honey is providing for them for their needs. And the first city that they encounter is Jericho. Um, Joshua is now leading Moses' past. Joshua is leading them into Jericho. And what happens in Jericho is very much what happens in our own consciousness, right? There are spaces in our consciousness when we're moving, we're on a trajectory, and we encounter these very rigid thought forms. This consciousness that is sort of established and unmoving and very um, materialistic based, very um, this dimension based, rather than really taking its lead from what's happening in, in terms of the spiritual dimension of it, right? And what we find in the course of the Israelites moving into this time of uh, being in Jericho is that the the walls of Jericho must fall. Jericho falls in order for the journey into the promised land to, to actually begin to demonstrate it and manifest the promised land. Jericho, those walls must fall. Our rigid thought forms that are mostly based in sort of what's comfortable, what we know, what happens in the material realm, those must give way, those must end, so that we can begin to step into that deeper place, right? If there's not evidence that something different is going to emerge, then it's time, it's time to sort of initiate or move through an ending. And the reason we knew that to be true in Jericho is because, as you recall, they sent spies into Jericho. Do you remember the Israelites sent spies ahead? And so in the city, they were looking for evidence of, of what might change, of how this might be a part of the kingdom to come. And the only place that they found any receptivity to new ideas was with Roab, this woman who was a prostitute, but whose grounding in sort of love, whose acceptance, who really comes out of a space of love, even though in this realm, in this trajectory, that love is mostly sense-based, right? Ego-based, right? Physical world-based and not coming out of a love of the divine, right? But there was potential there. So when the city of Jericho falls, it's Roab who is moved out with, um, with the Israelites. She's saved from the desolation. In the... See, that's the thing. The thing about Old Testament stories is a lot of it is... Um, it's based in a level of understanding where consciousness is about either we follow divine guidance and we are blessed or we defer from divine guidance, we ignore it, and we're cursed, right? It's sort of at that level of very basic what happens in in the outer dimension for us. Whereas in unity, most of us are much more comfortable in the realm of the Christian texts, the Christian scripts, the Christian scriptures, where it's all about love, right? So when we find these images of war where the city of Jericho is desolated and pillaged and all of the gold and silver is taken out for the treasury, when we encounter those, we have, we, we, we have trouble getting over our depiction of it being a negative idea. What I'm suggesting here is that it's actually a really good benchmark for determining where those endings in our lives are going to be sort of most fruitfully embraced, yeah? So if there's nothing in the current experience that suggests that this trajectory is going to change, if those thought forms are so rigid, if the path that we've established has already been tried a million times, it's crazy to expect that something different is going to emerge. There needs to be an ending take place so that something new can come forward, yeah? So that's the one about looking for evidence of change. And then the fourth sort of benchmark that he suggests is to really, and he doesn't use the word faith, I'm going to use the word faith. Um, It's acknowledging this dimension of um, coming from a space of faith rather than a faith of even hope or of wishing it were so. In unity, we know that there is great power in hope, we know that that's an energy that motivates us and moves us forward, and that's a beautiful energy to embrace, provided what we're hoping for um, actually has some life to it, right? It actually has some energy behind it that's going to be supportive and sustaining. If we're hoping in something that has no life to it, that has no energy, no vibrancy, then our hope is being misplaced. So the quote, I want to share the quote that, he, that Cloud used on this. I know it's page 89 even though there it is so he says in the absence of real objective reasons to think that more time is going to help it's probably time for some type of necessary ending so in the absence of of, of any evidence that there's something different. If, if, if we're just hoping and wishing. The, the way that this shows up I think most that I've taught before around sort of prosperity teachings is we, there has to be whatever it is that we're wanting to affirm, we're bringing into our experience as part of our prosperity understanding if those of you who have been in the 4T process or any of those other uh, tithing classes, right? There is this, this notion that we hold a vision, we hold a, a hope, we open a space for something new to emerge, for something greater. And then the caveat with that is it has to be something that at least a corner of our mind is open to, at least a corner of our mind can believe in, can really bring life to it. So it might be that I can imagine for myself um, an increase in income of $10,000. It might be that I can imagine for myself um, changing careers or jobs or writing a best-selling book or I can imagine that and feel that there's a resonance in it within me that, that I could even increase my income by a hundred thousand dollars. In my experience, though, for me to envision a million dollar increase in my income in the next year, there's really not any part of my consciousness that's open to that kind, of, that kind of increase, right? There's no life in that. That's wishing. That's hoping without sort of a grounding in solid faith in the knowing of principle. It's reaching beyond what really even spirit can bring possible because it's not something that I truly believe. So a piece of our discerning whether or not to end, there's an ending that's required or whether or not to continue with it is to really be very clear about whether this vision that we're holding for the future is grounded in a realistic faith and something that, and that's not to say, I mean, see, this is where I get a little bit discombobulated, I think, because in unity teachings, we definitely believe that we engage in the power of spirit precisely because it's not our own sort of will or ego that's pushing it. So it's something that's greater than than what we might be able to do on our own, to accomplish on our own. And yet there is a balance to be struck between that sort of realistic expectation and just sort of miracle Pollyanna thinking that is just all, as Christina would say, rainbows and... What does she say? Rainbows and unicorns. Yep, it's not that. So make sure that as we're discerning between um, an ending that's fruitful, an ending that we want to move through in a mindful way, in a healthy way, and one that we're just sort of pushing forward out of this own dream, this sort of fantasy that we have about what might come into fruition. That those, are, those are key benchmarks to which to bring to it. Okay, so all of that sort of leading up to announcement that probably, those of you who um, have read your email this week, most of you have probably received an email with some news about our Right and Perfect Home initiative. Um, So I want to just kind of outline a little bit of where we are with that, because it is going to require this discernment between pushing forward on fixing, or between recognizing that it truly is time for an ending. Um, and where we are right now is we've been through, most of you are aware, two, almost three years now of discernment process. For First exploring what it would take to be able to stay here, how much it would cost to maintain it, how much it would cost to, um, to remodel and redecorate and re-envision and re-equip. Um, and then we moved into a space of working with a consultant so that they could help us really get, get clear about what those costs were um, and also to discern what our next options might be. And in February of this year, we, um, the Right and Perfect Home team that's been working on this unanimously, unanimously elected to put the property on the market. So it's been on the market since January. We have received a number of offers. Two of those we responded to, um, three of them didn't really even warrant a response from us and then over the course of the last couple of months our attorney and consultant and our negotiating team have been working on what that final deal might look like so the board has signed that it's called a purchase sales agreement more than I've learned in this process of ministry that I never imagined would be Um, a purchase sales agreement. And what that means is we now have 60 days to inform and educate and surround in prayer this whole process. And uh, on this is, keep in mind, this is September 26th. So this is almost 60 days from now. We will be holding a congregational meeting at which point all the voting members will be voting on whether or not to approve this deal that the board has just signed. So we've got some time to do some discerning. We've got some time to really evaluate whether or not we're clearly at a point of ending or whether or not this is something that we can continue to fix. Um, We will be holding... I know you'll have tons of questions right now, probably bubbling already. What I would like to suggest is that... um, That's Jericho thinking, that's outer sort of thinking. Um, What we wanna make sure is, as we have been through this whole process, is that we're very transparent, that we're um, informing everyone with the same messaging at the same time. So uh, the town hall meeting will be held two weeks from today. September 22nd, next week, is Reverend Christina's last uh, message that she'll be giving out. We had, a, we had another ending last weekend, right, as we begin to say goodbye to Reverend Christina as she moves on to Nashville to take over that senior ministry role. Um, and then the following week, on the 29th, will be the town hall meeting where um, the board and members of the RPH team will share more of the details about what this deal entails, what lies ahead for us, what the process might look like as we prepare to find a new and perfect home or right and perfect home. All of those questions um, that are uh, 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 what I would call Jericho questionings, not that we don't want to entertain those, certainly, but we want to make sure that we're doing that in a really thoughtful and responsible way. So we want you to have that date on your calendar, August 29th. Um, Also, we wanted to, in the interest of having as much participation in this choice as possible, um, for those of you who are former voting members, that means for whatever me- reason, perhaps your voting member status um, has expired, we are offering a reboot class um, in a couple of weeks. We'll, uh, Vivian will tell you the dates when we get to the uh, to the announcement part. But if you would like to reactivate your voting membership status so that you can be part of this choice moving forward, there'll be an opportunity for you to do that by taking this reboot class. And for those of you who have been... Um, Um, really engaged in this ministry over the course of the last year and a half or have been contemplating or considering becoming a member of Unity on the North Shore, we will be offering a membership class. That's two sessions. It'll be a couple of Thursday evenings, I believe, if you don't have the dates in a minute. But if you would like to be a part of creating this ministry moving forward, of the decision about this this deal that the board has just signed, then there's an opportunity for you to become a voting member before we reach the point of taking that vote. So as we have through this whole period, we're wanting to have sort of as much transparency, as much engagement, as much opportunity for involvement as possible. And that's essentially how, how we're going to make that possible, yeah. Okay, so that's a lot of info. That's a lot of Jericho thinking I've just sort of unloaded. I'd like you to breathe in now very deeply and just become present uh, if you've got any busyness of mind going. And if you can, just sort of allow that to quiet. It's not that you have to stop the thinking, but just allow whatever thoughts you have to sort of move through your awareness and your consciousness. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving us a review. And if you'd like to support the ministries of Unity on the North Shore, you can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 815-827-6052. Again, text GIVE to 815-827-6052. Or visit us online and click the donate button www.unityns.org. You'll also find there a complete menu of offerings for sort of remote and distance learning through this time of sequestering. God bless you, and again, thanks for joining.